Hello, this is Ted Prozelski. Welcome to another episode of Words and Work. We're on kind of both sides of that, both words and work. Uh, as all of you know, um, we've been on a long-term writer's strike, and the writers have now been joined by the actors. And uh, it isn't just about you having to watch reruns. It's uh, about some big issues going on because of new technology and old deals. And how do we pay writers? How do we make sure that new stuff gets written by professional creative people? And uh, we've got a, an interesting guest on today, uh, Rafael Augustine, who uh, wrote 35 episodes of Jane the Virgin, a Golden Globe-nominated series that ran on the CW. Um, he has a number of other projects he's done and gotten critical acclaim for a one-man show that he wrote um, and uh, is an interesting fella if you ever want to look up the other things he's done. Now, this isn't one of my standard-issue interviews. This was actually... Uh, a Zoom meeting of the Labor Radio and Podcast Network, uh, and Raphael agreed to join our meeting. And so there are several people asking questions, not just me. The main voice you're going to hear introducing Raphael and uh, thanking him for coming on is a fellow named uh, Chris Garlock, who uh, is one of the uh, co-conspirators, I guess you could say, in the Labor Radio and Podcast Network. Um, I had him on my show a few months ago to talk about the Labor Radio and Podcast Network. If you can go back and look for that. So um, we've got Raphael here. Um, and like I said, a little unusual because I'm not the only one asking questions, but uh You'll get used to it. All right. Here's Christopher and Raphael. I'm really pleased to have Raphael Augustin uh, with us as our special guest today. I sent out the link to his terrific piece in Mother Jones. Uh, I'm a striking TV writer. Here's why we're doing this. Um, Raphael is a member of the Mother Jones Board of Directors. He was a writer on uh, Jane the Virgin, and he's also the author of uh, Illegally Yours. So <clears throat> folks may want, I'm sure he can put his email in this chat, but folks may want to book him uh, separately uh, to talk about any or all of those things. I'm sure he would be happy to do that. I shouldn't speak for you, Raphael, but... <laughs> Listen, if you're Team Mike or Team Raphael, I'm, I'm I'm here to talk to you. There we go. There we go. So, um, Raphael, in your piece, you said this is the labor fight of our generation. Uh, I thought maybe you could use that as your jumping off point for your remarks. Yeah, for me, this is truly uh, at the core of everything that's been going on in the United States. And, and that is how big tech companies essentially enter any industry and turn them into the gig economy for profits, right? The what what we've been able to have with you think about Airbnb and Uber and Spotify comes on the backs of workers from the music industry, the hotel industry and the taxi driving industry. And tech companies will continue to do so 
until we have a strong labor movement against them. And that's what they have found themselves uh, in a battle with in Hollywood, because Hollywood is still a union town. Um, unfortunately, when you think about the labor movement in the United States, we have dropped from a membership that used to be like 34% of our labor force were union members in the 1950s. And today it's like down to 10%. And I think that that is the fight that's been going on with the labor force in the United States for the past 70 years, right? Trying to break down these unions, trying to break down workers' rights, uh, trying to break down all the gains we've already gained, we've already gathered. That's why the writers, um, I should mention that I'm a proud member of the Writers Guild of America. The reason why writers are so upset right now is because we've already had these fights. We've had these fights 50, 70 years ago, but it's the tech companies that have entered and tried to quote unquote disrupt everything. And when we had them 50, 70 years ago, the studios and networks made gazillions of dollars along the way while allowing us to make a living doing what we love to do. So like the WJ negotiating committee pointed out, these negotiations are so important because we are fighting to preserve writing as a profession. Because if we do not, it will be extinct. It's strong words, my friend, strong words. And uh, I, I think we we all uh, resonate with them. Um, what I want to do, uh, I want to open this up. Uh, just a reminder, I will be sharing the audio. Uh, and if anybody wants a video uh, afterwards, but certainly the audio uh, with anybody who wants it uh, or excerpt some uh, for your shows, uh, don't be shy about asking for that. <clears throat> and just a reminder, uh, when you do ask a question, if you can uh, you know, introduce yourself with your name and your show and, and and uh, go. So uh, I have questions, but I'm going to open it up to all of you first. So you can either just raise your little uh, screen hand or or just wave at me in the window. That's as well. So uh, Ted, why don't we start with you and then we'll go to Steve. Ted, Ted, Ted Przewski. Yeah. Um, just so you know, Raphael, I'm a member of the National Writers Union and, um, you know, we're a little bit of a different beast than y'all but we've been trying to show solidarity in our in our way um and again ted if you could just say your name and your show oh, oh my name okay i'm sorry i'm ted Przelski, uh words and work out of tucson um could you talk a little bit about what your work as a writer is i think a lot of people don't really understand how much of a job that is i, I you know the thing that frustrates i know a lot of authors that i know is when someone says oh you're an author i'm planning on doing that after i retire as if it's not a job <laughs> you know so could you just talk a little bit about that and, and and how much work this actually involves from you yeah of course it's funny enough when i when i became a tv writer and joined a writer's room i thought i'd just go off and write scripts all day but it turns out it's not that at all it um for my particular show, which was on broadcast television, uh, we would be in a room collectively and we all pitch together. We board together. We go to outline. Uh, and then it's about like not just the development of the stories and writing these scripts, but then you also go to set and produce your episode and you're in the editing room trying to finish your episode. And these are the things kind of that the streamers, right, the tech companies, have brought into Hollywood and destroyed along the way. I now know a lot of writers who have come up in their careers, but they have never covered set because now streamers don't pay people to go produce their episodes of television. 
the idea, for example, just so you know, uh, and Jane the Virgin, we had 12 to 14 writers in a season. It, that took that many writers to write, you know, 20 episodes of, of television, of one hour television episodes. Um, that's being cut in half by the streamers because their business model is no longer viewership. They don't care about viewership. What they care about is subscribers. And the, the two things are not are are not the same for them because more subscribers are are gotten by more new shows. So why have one hit show with 20 episodes when they could have two mediocre shows with 10 episodes each? And by no means am I saying like smaller orders are mediocre shows, but that, that's what I mean by viewership doesn't matter to them. They just want to constantly be feeding the beast more episodes, more TV, what they they call more content. So so as writers, we're seeing we're getting less less work. When I was on Jane, that's job security for at least not eight to nine months. Now, my friends who work in streaming, they're, they're lucky if they stay on a show for a month or two. So that means they have to work in like three to four shows to try to make a living where I was able to do one show, make a living. That's what's ha- well, that's what's being disrupted in our workforce and in, in Hollywood right now. Uh, real quick before I go to Steve and then Judy, uh, can you talk? Can you talk about this in your piece, Rafael, about the huge difference in in uh, residual in payments? Uh, I was shocked by the the difference in amounts. Yeah, I, I've spoken to some writers. For example, procedurals have always been the bread and butter of broadcast television, and some writers told me like my residual checks, the the checks that we make. Um, that keep us afloat, right? When you're in between projects or when you're developing your own TV series, these are the residual checks that help pay the rent, help pay the mortgage, help send our kids to school. Um, one writer who was working in a procedural used to make uh, residual checks of 25,000 episodes per uh, when they were on broadcast. But when they went to streamer to do the same type of show, they were making residual checks of like $125. So it's $20,000, $125. Correct. Just, to be, just to be clear. Correct. Correct. And uh, the Variety did this wonderful piece where they said uh, last year uh, or the year before last, the biggest movie on Netflix was um, the Leonardo DiCaprio movie. Um, don't look up. Don't look up. Um, it was the biggest movie in the world. I'm sure they negotiated some like very good fees for themselves. But the second biggest movie in the world was an old 2011 Adam Sandler movie. It is the second most watched thing in the world on Netflix. And that writer didn't see a penny. Wow. Well, that's, right. what, that's what we're dealing with, with, with the streamers and the disruption of how Hollywood works. I mean, right. someone's making the money, but it's definitely not the labor force. Uh, Steve, Judy, John, and then Patrick. And then again, if you can just make sure you give uh, your name and your show name when you're uh, leading into your question, Steve. Yeah. So my name is Steve Zeltzer. I'm with Workweek and San Francisco and Pacific Capitalism, Race and Democracy and, and uh, Working Voices LA. Um, you know, I, I interviewed the writers. A lot of them say this is an existential crisis. In other words, the future of their industry. And that's what you're saying here. Uh, the question is, if it's existential uh, AI, uh, it, why is there not a united effort to get all unions who are affected with this, uh, Teamsters, healthcare workers, uh, many other workers uh, together in a united front uh, on the issue of AI. Uh, the unions are not calling, uh, there's no national campaign around uh, the introduction of technology. They're allowing Biden basically to 
make a deal with the companies for volunteer voluntarily uh, controlling AI, whatever that means. So that's one issue I think that has to be dealt with. The other thing is you really think uh, that these uh, people like Reed Hastings who own Netflix are going to uh, allow uh, you and other writers to survive when their whole mode of operation is to basically destroy workers, marginalize workers. And, you know, the United Artists were formed by producers, Charlie Chaplin and others, who decided that they needed to be in control of production. And the issue of workers' control, uh, workers running the industry, uh, which is possible much more today with social media, uh, I think is a real issue. Is there any discussion in the Writers Guild about why not the writers and the uh, IATSE and the other workers doing their own production and knocking out the, the producers? I mean, there's a button you know, uh, have AI take over the CEO's job. Uh, and that's that's an issue that I need. Uh, is, there, is there any discussion and debate on that? And the other thing is the question of um, boycott. We brought it up previously in a discussion we had. Uh, and if millions of workers uh, uh, cancel their subscriptions to uh, Amazon and Netflix, that would have some effect financially on these companies. Why isn't that an issue um, in the union to say we're not going to give them any more money uh, and the AFL-CIO would, could do a, a national campaign. Last point, uh, are there any plans for rallies, like labor councils around the country could have rallies of all workers who are being affected by AI to bring together the entire working class and to educate workers about why it's not just about writers, it's about all workers in this country who, who face AI and the destruction of their jobs. Thanks, Steve. Rafael? Steve, that was amazing. Uh, everything that you brought up is currently in conversations as we speak. There are rallies being built. There are rallies already been had. Um, I think the reason why we have been so strong in this particular strike is because of the unity we're seeing from all of our other unions and guilds in the Hollywood. And mostly, I mean, like Teamsters and IATSE and Liuna. It's really the working class of the industry that has really bonded with us. And we have to remember to return the favor. It's gonna be very important once this fight is over that we go back out there next year. Um, uh, let me, I wrote a few things down. For AI, uh, please understand that when our negotiating committee went into the, the room, we thought we could all agree that AI was, you know, only humans could write scripts. The second they said, well, no, we don't wanna take that off the table because the studios might wanna use it in the future. That's when the alarms went off. That's when we said, oh, my God, you're going to use AI to write scripts. If we can't even agree that human beings have to generate this work, then we're in big, big trouble. Because ultimately, again, it takes like 10 to 12 writers to do a season of television, right? But their ultimate dream is to have one writer in one box with AI. That's how they exploit labor. And that's how they can do the. They think they can do the same amount of work, not realizing that to me, AI is just a plagiarism plagiarism machine on steroids. AI right now cannot generate original scripts. It could only puke the scripts that have been fed into it. So there needs to be federal and state legislation against AI because now we're talking about copyright infringements. Um, as far as boycott, boycotts, you're right. Early on, we discussed boycotts. We thought as the WGA, we would not be as impactful because for us, boycotts wouldn't work. But if every labor union united to do a boycott, then you would be very, very impactful. Absolutely. Thanks, Rafael. Good good points. No. We've gotten the order mixed up, but I think it's uh, Judy, John, and Patrick. Judy? Yeah. Um, 
Well, actually, I just want to take off on that point you just made about. Can you introduce yourself? What? If, if we get your your name and your for, for the recording, your name and your show. Oh, my name's Judy Ansel. I am producer of the Heartland Labor Forum in Kansas City, and um, I guess the question I want to raise has to has to do with the whole issue of new technology, and uh, you know, referring back to the infamous Luddites. Uh, who opposed the new technology of, of, you know, like 18th century England. Um, I think the message that is getting across in the media through from a lot of different directions is that we need to get rid of AI. It's AI is our enemy and not we need to control it. And I think that it it, it just seems to me that it's really important for the unions, all of them that are on strike and the ones who might be on strike in the future, to to make that point. Um, I think the American labor movement in the past has done a very poor job of that. Of un, um, Unlike, say, the Swedish who, you know, passed legislation where workers have a voice in uh, how we implement new technology. Um, it seems to me that that's a much better message than simply AI is going to take our jobs. Um, you know, we have to oppose it, uh, which I'm, I'm not sure that that's what you that the unions intend to put out. But it seems like that's what's coming out in the media about these strikes. So I just wondered if, if you'd comment about that. What kind of legislation or union contracts could we implement wh which would give workers a voice and control over how technology is introduced? Yeah, I can speak on behalf of the Writers Guild of America. I do know that what we were negotiating was not to get rid of AI. What we were negotiating was to have guardrails around AI. And that begins with the understanding that only human beings can generate scripts. So what we were saying is that writers can absolutely use AI technology for research and support, but you cannot use AI to create a script. And I think that's kind of the guardrails that all industries are going to have to do. Um, and you know... The state and federal legislators are so behind the ball. They're freaked out. They don't even know what to do. They're contacting us going like, what should we do? And only now are they starting to have meetings and they're going to start having hearings around AI and what this means to our industry. Thank you. Really good points uh, from both of you. Uh, John from Working Class History. Hi, this is John from Working Class History. Um, uh, I, I did have a question. Um, I did just want to quickly respond to a comment from Judy Ansell, who described, as many kind of people frequently do, the Luddites as being anti-technology. And that is um, very much a misconception. Um, Luddites were not anti-technology. They were fighting for better wages and conditions. And the way they did that was by destroying machines. Um, but uh, that's been kind of, you know, uh, distorted to take it. They were against the machines, but most of them were skilled machine operators themselves. But, you know, <laughs> sorry, that's just a personal bugbear. I, 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 know, I know that, but that's not the rap they got. Two points to working class history. Y'all know your stuff. <laughs> um, but, um, now, but so my question, sorry, uh, was I'm, I believe, uh, I'm pretty sure Raphael is too young to have, taken part in the 2007-8 writer's strike. But I was wondering, you know, from, with this kind of history hat on, 
if um, you've heard stuff from colleagues or um, fellow workers about any kind of differences they see between, um, I guess, the kind of mood of the workers uh, today compared to back then, and also the attitude of your fellow workers in the industry, Teamsters, IATSE, you know, the, the crews, the actors, and so on. Thanks. It's so funny. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm too young to have been in the last strike, but I will say I wasn't a professional writer back then. <laughs> um, it, everything I hear is that this strike, there's so much more excitement. And that comes from the fact that there's a lot more younger writers trying to break in and a lot more multicultural and diverse writers. Uh, and that's really where like the energy is coming from, from the people who, who are essentially like, we haven't had anything coming up. So we can be out here forever. <laughs> You're not threatening us by quote unquote taking our homes. We can't afford a home. That that is what's happening at the younger and entry level of the of our guild. And that's where all the excitement is really coming from. Uh, but how I pointed out in my piece on Mother Jones, all the support that we're getting on the line that I've seen doesn't come from like the rich Teslas that drive by. They they come from like the big rigs. They come from the electrical trucks. They come from the bus drivers. They come from the county utility vehicles. And they all come from other union workers in this town, in the city of Angels. And that is what has filled my heart. That's the reason why I was like, I need to write this article and this op-ed because people aren't seeing what I'm seeing. They aren't seeing all the labor movement that has really gathered around the Hollywood writers and now the Hollywood actors, because everyone gets it. Again, that's why I framed it as this is the labor fight of our generation, humanity versus tech. Are we really going to just destroy everything that we built and the middle, the middle class of this country that the labor movement was able to build just for profits for a few tech companies? Come on. Patrick, and then we're going to give Dan the last word. Patrick? Thank you. I'm Patrick Dixon. I work with Chris on Labour Radio Podcast Weekly, which is our weekly roundup show. Thanks for talking to us. When I, I hear you talk about some of the different um, different types of writing jobs that people do, sometimes I get a little confused. I was wondering if you could tell me, what does a great writing job look like? What should this profession look like? Is it like a high-budget show that does... 24 episodes what what should this really be if it's not that now uh for, for me in particular it's a difference between broadcast and streaming and that's the difference i was trying to make in in this op-ed piece because i worked in broadcast and that's how i was able to make a great living again i have job security for nine months i have my pension i have my health uh I, i'm getting paid to cover my set and produce my episodes. I don't have the stress of having less writers because we can actually afford the writers required to produce television. That's broadcast. But broadcast is a different model because we're supported by ad revenue, right? Because it's free on television, but paid for advertising. But in streamers, it's a different model. It's subscription. Those are less uh, episodes of television for a season. Those are less people in the writer in the writer's room, which means that we are forced to do a lot more work. We don't get paid to cover set. And a lot of times we go cover set for free. Though that to me, that's the major difference. And broadcast is something that, again, our labor union movement has fought for. It has created this incredible uh industry where we can thrive and have careers and have families and have homes for decades. 
But in the past 10 years, that has all been slowly chipped away by the streamers who are turning us into the gig economy. So when you ask me what's the ideal working condition, it would be to implement the minimums and everything that we already fought for in the broadcast television space. Thanks, Rafael. All right, we're going to go to uh, Detroit for uh, Dan with the last word. Dan? Last word. Um, big fan, Rafael. I loved your show, Jane of uh, the Virgin. Uh, my whole family enjoyed it. Um, Dan Galadner from the uh, Tales from the Ruther Library. Um, I, I'm the big history buff, and I do a lot with labor history. And you keep referring to what the labor movement was built for the writers. Could you expand on that a little bit to give us context of what this strike is all about, really? Yeah, the I, I would say that the first residual provisions, for example, residuals, the checks that we get every time our episodes re-air, those were negotiated in 1953, I believe. That is 70 years ago. And now we're back on the picket line to request from streamers and tech companies, hey, we deserve residuals. That's why I said at the beginning that this is a, a little absurd. It's a little absurd that we're still fighting, even though we won these 70 years ago. But this seems to be the theme and, and the United States right now. Like the, the rights and the protections that we've all already fought for are being slowly chipped away. And that, unfortunately, that's why we're on, we're on the picket line. And I will just add that the studios can 100% afford what we're asking for. They can afford that. What they cannot afford is to show the world that strikes work. And that's why this is going to be a long fight. Well said, Raphael. Really wonderful. Thanks so much for joining us today. Una flor voy a regalarte esta noche de luna llena para confesarte. Lo mucho que me gustas, lo mucho que hay en una flor Para perfumarte del amor del que voy a hablarte y quiero demostrarte Lo mucho que me gustas, lo mucho que me gustas le, 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 le. Quiero demostrarte lo mucho que me gustas Quédate, vamos a ver juntos el amanecer, los dos metidos en la arena, mirando las estrellas, metidos en la arena, y la manzana que hay en una flor, en una flor, en esta flor, le le la hemos de compartir los dos, le le los dos metidos en la arena.
como tú tan bella Ninguna sin duda quiero amarte Todos y cada uno de los días de mi vida Y la manzana que hay en una flor En una flor En esta flor Lele la hemos de compartir los dos Lele los dos metidos en la arena Solo con vos y la luz Juanes, Una Flor, used on the television show Jane the Virgin, which our guest Rafael Agustin wrote for. Uh, I'd like to thank Rafael for coming on and telling his story. I'd like to thank the gang over at the Labor Radio and Podcast Network for uh, providing us the opportunity to uh, hear from Rafael. Um, I'm Ted Przelski. Words and Work has been a presentation of Downtown Radio and the National Writers Union Tucson chapter. See you all next week.